Hello, everyone. Hello. I hope that this is working. I hope you are all having a wonderful evening. I'm live tonight, both on Facebook and on YouTube. So I hope that you can all hear me. Let me know in the chat if you can hear me okay. I had some audio problems last time on Facebook. So hopefully this will eliminate the audio problems. I hope you are all having a wonderful week. I hope you've been enjoying your horses this week. We've had a bit of a challenging week. Uh, on Monday, we had a totally unexpected rainstorm at our barn. And normally we cover the arenas with tarps, but since it wasn't in the forecast, we didn't put the tarps on, which meant that the rings got totally saturated. And so we haven't really been able to ride. We've been doing a lot of trail riding around the property, which is good, but it's always, I think I'm addicted to riding. So when I don't get to ride my horses, I get kind of frustrated. And then tomorrow, I'm driving up north up to Sacramento. My husband's driving with me, one of my clients. And then on Saturday, I'm going to be doing a symposium on suppleness, which I'm super excited for. The California Dressage Society is hosting this event, and I'm honored to be doing it. We're going to have riders through the levels, so like training level up through Grand Prix, and we're going to be spending the entire day talking about suppleness. So I've been kind of putting together a speech about why suppleness is important. I'm going to be doing a little groundwork demo, and then we're going to look at horses from training level all the way up to the Grand Prix and looking at different exercises that apply to each horse. So I'm really excited. I'm not going to give too much away for those of you guys that are going to be there. But suppleness is huge in dressage. Obviously, you know, it's at the base of the training scale. There's rhythm and then suppleness. Suppleness is different for every single horse and every single rider. And then it evolves. And the real beauty of dressage is when you can do really complicated movements like the canter half fast zigzag or a pee-off or a flying change and maintain the suppleness. So that's what we're going to be talking about on Saturday. What else? Oh, groundwork. So we had a ton of people sign up for the groundwork course, which honestly blew me out of the water. I was so surprised how many people signed up. And I'm loving hearing from you guys that have, you know, just be by being more aware and taking the time with your horse on the ground, you already start to see the difference in your horses and that you can really change the way that you are interacting with your horse and the way that they interact with you. So that is super exciting. Also, for those of you guys in the monthly workshops, we've had such great discussions this month. This month, we were talking about progress and kind of defining and analyzing your progress in dressage. And let's face it, dressage is hard. Let me know in the chat if you think that dressage is hard. For sure, it's really hard. And it's important that you recognize really small increments of progress. 
And it's wonderful that we have this supportive community here because oftentimes your progress is almost invisible or it's like these little things. Like you might say, oh my gosh, I had the most amazing canner transition today. It was just incredible. Or wow, like my horse is starting to trust me and I can get around the whole arena without my horse spooking. So these things to someone who doesn't ride horses, they're like, like, I don't get it. Like you had a good transition. Like, what does that even mean? Or your horse isn't spooking. What's the big deal? But since we all ride and we all know how hard it is, it's great that we have this community where we can support and encourage one another to recognize those little small progresses. And even if they seem invisible or not that important, they are always um, really important to recognize and to celebrate because it is definitely a sport that can be really discouraging. And so much of our society is about instant gratification, like with our cell phones and Amazon, right? Like you order it and it's there the next day. Well, riding horses is not instant gratification, but then when you do have that achievement or that progress, it's so special and so fun. So thank you all for supporting one another and helping one another. It's so fun to see um, on Amelia's Dressage Club on Facebook, sometimes the, the threads and the comments where you guys are supporting each other and offering help and offering suggestions. There was this week, there was a kid that posted about how she really wanted to learn dressage and she didn't really have an instructor and she didn't even have the right riding breeches. And literally like 10 people were like, what's your address? I'll send you some riding pants. And that was just so special to see you guys helping her. And that's really one of my goals for the future is how can we support our our kids and the young riders and the those children that really want to ride and that really love horses, but they don't have the means to do so. How can we support them better? So that's one of my goals for the future. Um, I have a lot of questions tonight. I'm going to answer some of them from my Instagram tonight. So if you're not on my Instagram, you should for sure join. It's at Amelia Newcomb Dressage. I post a lot of just random funny things about my horses on there. So the first question is how to recover confidence with a horse that you don't really trust after falling off. This is a good question. And I think it's always important whenever you fall off of a horse that you try to avoid it happening again, because when you fall off, for one, the horse doesn't like it. And then for two, the horse learns that you can fall off or that you can come off, which is not a good thing for them to figure out. And then three, you can get hurt. So number one is try to avoid that situation from happening again. That means figuring out what triggered you falling off. Was it that the horse was fresh? Was it that the horse spooked? Was it that you asked the horse to canter and they hadn't cantered before? So really figure out like the trigger that caused the event that caused you to fall off and then figure out how to change that trigger a little bit. So you need to do more groundwork. You need to have your trainer ride the horse. You need to keep your horse bending more to the inside. So 
go back to your comfort zone and then kind of work building out of your comfort zone to avoid it happening again. Okay, next question is best tips for horse shopping. <laughs> Finding a good horse is really hard. So it can be done, but I think that's one of the best tips is to just take your time and really look around and find that horse. And then when you find that horse, just go for it. And temperament is always the most important thing. So when you're riding a horse, how does that horse feel to you? Like, do they feel willing? Are they soft? Do you have a good gut feeling about the horse? I think that's really the most important thing is your gut feeling about the horse. And then, of course, you want to consider everything else like their age and their vet check and their history and all of that. But just temperament and gut feeling is the most important thing. And then just really take your time, shop around. Personally, I like going to Europe to look for horses because if you go there, I work with an agent and I get to ride like 20 different horses. So I really get a feel like, okay, this horse I like, this horse I don't like. And that way you can be a little bit pickier about what you want because every person is a little different with the type of horse that they like. So that's my advice there. Let's see. Hi, Lucy. I see you there. Lucy says, dressage takes so much patience. Sometimes I want to get off and give up. But then the ride ended up being a good ride. So happy. Yay. Good for you, Lucy. All right. Next question. This is a good one. How do you deal with a sensitive horse without walking on eggshells? This is a good question because there's always a balance of when you have a sensitive horse that you don't want to overexpose them. So you don't want to like do so much that you totally freak them out. But you also need to get them braver and get them more confident and be able to put your leg on and take a little contact and actually ask your horse to do something. So I think it really depends, but I always am a big believer in groundwork. So if you have a horse that's like really oversensitive and spooky, you know, getting them used to like, like where you're bending them and you're touching them on the side and you're hitting the saddle a little and brushing your hand all around them. I think that that kind of just general desensitizing work is a really good place to start because if you can't move your leg or if you can't ask your horse to bend, then it's not a good kind of sensitivity because there's a difference. We want our horses sensitive and we want our horses reactive, but they can't be so sensitive and so reactive that we can't ask them to do anything. So you do need to a little bit work on desensitizing and then keeping that sensitivity in the horse, but making sure that it's working for you. And this is a process that takes a lot of time. For example, my young horse, Kensington, he's like a really shy and sensitive horse. And 
I got him when he was four and now he's six and it's taken like years of just kind of working with him and developing his trust and little by little that sensitivity, it's still there, but it's gotten more useful where I can use his sensitivity and put him to work in the way that I want him to. So let's see what's going on on YouTube here. We have the crazy equestrian says, hi, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Good. Hi, crazy equestrian. Um, okay. Let's see. She says, I got a horse and he passed the vet check and he got off the trailer and was dead lame. So do drug tests. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point too. When you do a pre-purchase, you can um, take a little bit of blood for drug testing, which is always a good idea. It's hard to buy horses. And if you get a good one, it's amazing, but it's always a scary, a scary thing to send that much money. And at the end of the day, you don't really know what you're getting until it's at your barn and you're actually riding it. So it is scary. Okay, next question. How to ask for a lengthening of stride in the canter? This is a good question. And I hope you guys all enjoyed this week's YouTube video on how not to grip in the canter. I know Lori said she enjoyed that one. Uh, the canter is hard. We all struggle with it. A lot of riders grip in the canter, which is really bad because it locks your hips. So if you're one of those people, be sure to go to YouTube and check out that video. As far as lengthening the stride in the canter, I have another YouTube video about the canner where I talk about thinking about your canner as being circles and ovals. So if your regular canner is a circle, your lengthening canner is going to be an oval that's more flat on the, that's a shorter, longer oval. And the circle image is what your hips are doing. So in the canner, right, there's like an upbeat, there's a level beat, and there's a downbeat. So your hips are kind of going in this circular motion. And when you want to lengthen the stride in the canner, you want the bottom of your circle to get longer so that your circle becomes an oval. So that means that you sit with your hips a little bit longer stride from back to front in the saddle. And it's always important a few things when you're doing a lengthening canner is that you prepare it well. So you use the corner before the lengthening to get your horse bending, shoulder four, uphill, and then start your lengthening. It's really important to set up because if you start your lengthening and the horse is already like on the forehand and strung out, it's going to get worse and worse as you go in the lengthening. So start it out well. Also remember to drive, like ask your horse to go forward, always on the upbeat of the canter. So when the mane is flying up, that's when you put your leg on and that's when you wanna ask your horse to go forward. If you ask your horse on the downbeat or with the wrong preparation, then you're gonna get a canter that's more on the forehand and you're gonna get strides that are faster, but not longer in the canner. So those are my tips for the canner lengthening. Hopefully that helps. Here's another good question from Instagram. What is your input on keeping horses sound? Do you have any suggestions on how to do that? 
Okay, that is a really good question. And I think that that, again, that's a really hard part about dressage because at the end of the day, you know, keeping horses locked in box stalls and then taking them out and running them around in small circles is not natural. Horses are designed to be walking around all day in straight lines. So because of that, they break and they get unsound. My best tips for keeping a horse sound, the biggest one is consistency. So working your horse in a consistent way and at a consistent level. If you leave your horse in the stall and don't get them out or don't ride them for a week and then you get them out and you lunge them super hard and you ride them for an hour, that's going to cause them to be unsound because they're not fit for that. So consistency is really important. I personally work my horses five days a week. And within that, like I vary a little bit, like I have an easier stretch day and then a day that I work more of the movements. In general, with my upper level horses, I really only work them hard, I would say three days a week. And then the other two days are a little bit lighter. Consistency, super important. The second one is footing. So making sure that your footing is even and level and the right depth is super important to keeping your horse sound because if the footing's too deep, you're going to have soft tissue injuries. If the footing's too thin or hard, you're going to have bony injuries. And either one of those things is really hard to recover from. And then another important thing is shoeing. So make sure that you have a good shoer. Do not try to find the cheapest shoer because they say there's a saying that says, no hoof, no horse. So <laughs> make sure you have good shoeing and try to keep your shoeing cycle a little shorter. I'd like to get my horses on a five-week cycle because if you let your horses grow super long, then that's putting more torque on all their tendons and their ligaments. So that helps. I With my older horses, I put them on Legend and Adequan and that helps them stay sound too. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenge keeping these horses hard. All right, let's see on YouTube here. Falco Farn says, doing groundwork with my 20-month-old PRE stallion. Okay, good. That's awesome. Aileen says, could you please comment on bringing a horse back into work after being not in work for two months due to an injury? Okay, so I think like if you're bringing your horse back after time off, it's always important that you allow about the same amount of time to bring them back as they had off. So for example, if your horse had two months off, it's probably going to take about two months to get them back. And then you really have to just build up gradually, listen to what your vet recommends as far as bringing them back. If they have like tendon injuries, you usually don't want to do a ton of tight circles, um, more straight lines and yeah, stay safe. It's always hard bringing horses back and rehabbing horses. So safety first, you guys. All right. What other questions? We have some questions on Facebook. Also, all of these lives we're now making into podcasts. So if you haven't yet, Go to your podcast player and check out 
dressage with Amelia, and you can listen to a lot of these back episodes. If you're listening to this on the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with your friends, because I think that's going to be really cool to be able to listen to this on the go. Personally, I love listening to podcasts when I am driving or when I'm at the gym or anything like that. So I'm excited to have these be a podcast. And then hopefully too, I have some other ideas like maybe doing audio tracks for riding, like where you have transitions. I think that would be really cool. Or doing guided sessions, like where I talk through, okay, now we're going to do leg yield, something like that. So a few questions now from Facebook here. Melissa says, in the medium and extended trot, my horse gets a bit strong, hangs on one rein, and does not come back to the collected trot easily or without rein pressure. I believe she's falling on the forehand and that's causing the hanging. What do you recommend? Yeah, so in general, if your horse gets strong or on the forehand, it is because they're not using their hind legs. So like if their hind end's not staying under them, then they're going to get strong. And if they get strong in one hand over the other, then again, that's a sign that they're not using their hind legs. So I would definitely recommend doing short little bits where you go like a, a few steps of medium or extended when the horse starts to get heavy or strong, maybe ride a small circle or shoulder in to bring the horse back. So instead of just pulling back on two reins, if you can put the horse in a little shoulder in or make a circle, that's going to help get the horse to come back to you. And it's, it's about quality over quantity. So when you're practicing your medium extended trot, it's not a good idea to, um, to just do a full diagonal in extended trot, but rather you want to do like a little bit, a few steps of it and then bring your horse back, get the horse balanced, do a few steps, bring your horse back, get your horse balanced. That gymnasticizes your horse and builds the strength. And then eventually you'll be able to do the whole diagonal. Um, okay. The guided warm up. I haven't, I haven't posted any guided warm-ups publicly. I have one in, for those of you guys that are in the monthly workshops, I did a guided ride, um, but I I know a lot of you guys are really requesting that. So that's on my to-do list for sure. I have kind of a long to-do list, which is a good thing. And I love that, that the audience and everyone's growing, but with everything that I do, I want to do it well. And so I was listening to like, there's some other people in the industry that have guided rides. And I tried listening to them when I was riding and I found them completely unuseful. So I want to make sure that if I do it, that it's useful. And it's a little hard because think about like every horse is a little different. So how you talk through it is tricky because they might not be in the same arena or same part of the arena as you are. So I'm kind of trying to work out all the kinks for how that's going to work out. All right. Um, Jennifer, any tips for improving the walk in a stiff downhill quarter horse? Possibly other than improving overall suppleness. Yeah. So improving overall suppleness will improve your walk. 
I definitely think that one of the best ways to work on your walk is to get out of the arena. So get out like on the trail, get your horse just walking out more freely. And that's going to help to improve your walk and also improve your suppleness. Another really good one is leg yields. So leg yields at the walk where you're getting your horse laterally supple will help to make the walk itself better. All right, Shannon, how can I help relieve jaw and neck tension? A very high-headed, short neck draft horse that carries all his tension in his jaw and neck. No amount of circles, serpentines, or scrambled eggs relaxes him enough to foam and be soft, as I know he can be. So that is a hard question. I think that, you know, every horse has certain tendencies and certain places that they hold their tension, just like us. And also every horse's confirmation, like the way that they are put together in their bodies. Like Shannon said, her horse has a very high set short neck. So that's going to lend itself to the horse carrying more tension in their neck. And so it's basically just training and time and repetition. That's how you get over that. You're never going to completely change your horse. Like if you have a horse that tends to be high headed and tense in the neck, that's never going to completely go away, but through consistency and through training and getting your horse on the aids and being persistent about it, it will over time get better. And that's just training. And, um, you know, one thing you might try Shannon, she said she's tried circles and serpentines is maybe some groundwork and, you know, teaching the horse to put their head down, teaching the horse to bend from the ground and doing a lot of that and anytime you're interacting with your horse, especially if they're high headed is just getting them to, to put their head down. So let's see, Heidi says, when riding a 10 meter circle, do you ride the circle from the inside of the horse or the outside of the horse size wise? Yeah. So when you're riding a 10 meter circle, I think of it as like the middle of the horse so that if you're riding a 10 meter circle, the spine of your horse would get to the center line. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, what else? Let me know you guys in the chat. Are any of you guys going to come to the CDS convention on suppleness this weekend? In It's in Northern California near Sacramento. And uh, my husband, Herman, is coming. He's driving us up. Levi, my dog, is going to be there. Joellen, my mom, is coming. And Sylvia, my awesome client who does a lot of the video work and some editing, she's going to be there. So it's going to be really fun. Oh, yeah, Lori's going to be there. And Sylvia's going to be there. Okay. Oh, yeah, and Lucy, you're going to be there too, Lucy and all of your kids. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's going to be about 200 people there. And I'm a little bit nervous. Like it's funny when COVID started is when I really started doing all of these Zoom presentations and Zoom lectures and Facebook lives, which has been really fun. But honestly, I'm looking forward to having a live audience, like where you can actually see people's reactions and hear from them. And so that will be fun to, to actually do one of these in person. And I'm also really looking forward to, we have a really great group of professional riders 
through the levels, like training level up to Grand Prix. So I'm really excited to working with all of them and seeing their horses. And I also, we had a Zoom meeting with all of the riders and I asked them if they would be willing to not only demonstrate the correct, but also demonstrate the incorrect. Because I think for the audience and for all of you guys, it's when you watch a perfect professional rider, of course, it's super inspiring, but sometimes it's hard to see what they're doing or maybe what you're doing wrong. So that's going to be really fun is to say to them like, okay, ride a leg yield. And then to say, okay, here's some of the common mistakes and to see how the horse changes. And also to see kind of how, when the rider changes, then the horse changes. So it's going to be a super fun event and yeah, I'm excited. Uh, what else? Melissa says, my horse will be working lightly off the age, but when there's something he wasn't, doesn't want to do, can be trot, canter, half pass. He kicks out with the hind legs and tries to bite my leg. Will not respond to my leg or whip. Only responds if a ground person gets after him. Um, so I think it's always important whenever you are riding or interacting with your horse that you are super consistent about you give an aid and anytime you ask your horse to do something you have to have a clear picture in your mind of the response that you want so you give an aid and you get that response no matter what it takes so you know you ask you're walking you ask your horse nicely to trot and if they don't trot, then you have to do what it takes to get that response. And the instant that they give you that response, then you reward and pet them. So Melissa, it's a little hard, you know, without seeing the horse to, to analyze why that happened. My guess would be that at some point you or someone else asked the horse to go forward and the horse kicked or bucked and the rider gave up so you know the the aid was trot and the horse said I don't want to trotting in a kick and the rider said okay never mind and so then the horse learned okay well if I kick out and bite at their leg then I don't have to trot and for those of you guys taking the groundwork master class right now I had a student write in about like just trying to figure out you know, you want to be soft with your horse, right? And you want to ask with these very soft aids. But then sometimes it feels like your horse isn't giving you that honest response and they're not giving you that 100% effort. And I think a lot of that comes from intention and the intention that you have when you give an aid or the intention that you have when you ask your horse to back up or ask your horse to canter has to be that I will get that response. And that's the big difference between, I think, professionals sometimes and amateurs is that you're like your trainer will walk up to the horse and be like, you're going to back up right now. And sometimes you walk up to your horse and say, you know, would, would it be okay if I asked you to back up today? 
And so it's that intention of I'm in charge. I'm confident. Here's what we're doing. I'm going to get the reaction. And sometimes just that attitude and that confidence means that you don't have to get after the horse or you don't have to give such a strong aid, but because your intention is so strong, the horse senses that and they respond better. And, and that's really why when people say like, well, my horse never does this with my trainer is because of that intention and the confidence and the clarity that your trainer has whenever they interact with your horse. So went off on a, um, a soapbox there, but I think that's it for today. I have to finish packing and we're leaving super early tomorrow morning to drive up to Sacramento. It's about, I think it's like a six or seven hour drive and we're stopping on the way to try a young horse for my husband. So I'm super excited about that. I'm excited to see everyone that's coming and hopefully we'll be able to get a little video for those of you that can't make it live this time, but it will be fun. Hopefully my voice holds up and I don't embarrass myself in front of everyone. So that's it for today. I hope to see you guys all next Thursday and have a wonderful evening. Bye everyone.